Welcome to Two Chicks on a Soapbox. This is us at 40 plus. Welcome to Two Chicks on a Soapbox, where my co-host Greta and I typically delve into the stories of womanhood. In today's very special episode, I, Yasi, stand solo, standing on my soapbox as we approach the one-year anniversary of Masa Amini's death. I'd like to take this episode to reflect on this past year, post her death, the impact it's had to the women's rights movement, and essentially our path forward. We would like to call this episode an Ode to Massa. For those of you who aren't familiar with the name Massa Amini, let me give you background into who she was and what the anniversary of her death represents. So on September 16th in 2022, 22-year-old Massa Amini, who was also known as Gina Amini, and Gina was her Kurdish name, died in a hospital in Tehran, Iran. Massa had arrived in the capital city on the 13th as she was visiting her family. Iran's morality police, and these are the individuals that patrol the streets to make sure women are covered. I mean, that's not essentially all that they do, but the uh, moral of the story is that's their, their fundamentals of their job. Um, the morality police arrested Massa for not wearing her hijab in accordance with the government's standards. The law enforcement command of the Islamic Republic of Iran released a comment that Massa had a heart attack at the police station. She collapsed and fell into a coma before being transferred to a hospital. But there were multiple eyewitnesses that included women who were detained with Massa who reported Massa had been beaten severely and died as a result of police brutality. There were leaked medical scans that showed Massa had a cerebral hemorrhage or even possibly a stroke due to the head injuries after her arrest. Before we dive into what transpired post Massa's death, I'd like to provide our listeners with some background into how the hijab was enforced in Iran because that's a pretty common question that I get from non-Iranians as they're trying to understand how this all came about. So let me take it back a little bit. In February of 1979, the Shah of Iran, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, left Iran and the Ayatollah Khomeini, who had been exiled from Iran since 1965, was brought back to Iran. I'm sure many of you are very familiar with the name Khomeini, especially for those that can remember the 80s very clearly as a common name that definitely hit our news and the Western media outlets. Now, most resources say that Khomeini returned, but he was brought back by foreign leaders, which I won't get into that as that could be a miniseries within itself. The Shah didn't abdicate his throne, but the writing was on the wall, so he left at his own will with his family. Now, just imagine 2,500-year-old monarchy being replaced by this newly established Islamic Republic. Most of you may not be able to do a compare-contrast because you're unfamiliar with how both operated, so I'm going to narrow it down for you, which will hopefully provide you with some context. One month after the quote-unquote supreme leader's arrival, 
He established a mandatory dress code for women, which aligned with their interpretation of Islamic standards. Part of this dress code was the hijab. So for those that might not be familiar with that term, it's the Islamic headscarf. And this Islamic headscarf became mandatory for all women to wear in the workplace. He also decreed that women would no longer be allowed to enter any government office without the hijab, as this would be considered naked uh, without it. In 1983, the mandatory hijab was added into the penal code, stating that women who do not wear the religious hijab would be sentenced to 74 whiplashes. Yes, 74 whiplashes. Yes, I said whiplashes. I did. Imagine living in a westernized Iran, so westernized that they used to call Tehran the Paris of the Middle East. Then overnight, it turns into a country where women lose just about any living right they have, then forcing them to cover themselves. And if they decided to voice their opinion, the result was detainment, physical abuse, and it could even lead to death. The rights that were taken away from women didn't just pertain to aesthetics. So I, I want to caveat that right now because that's something that comes up quite a bit. It's not about women were forced to cover themselves. It was the fact that women were stripped of their right to choose. So I just want to make sure that everybody understands that, that it's not about oh, wow, woman was covered up. She couldn't be a woman. No, because a woman can be covered up and still be a woman. It's not about that. It was it was the, their ability to make a choice. Uh, women were barred from opportunities in the workplace. So to shed perspective, here's a real life example of what the regime did to women. All female judges were dismissed from their positions. So if you were a, fa if you were a female judge, you were removed from your role as a judge. Uh, there's a Nobel Peace Prize winner by the name of Shirin Ebadi, a very, very, very famous, well-known human rights advocate, specifically for women. She was one of those judges that was removed from her position and was demoted to a clerk. And so this is... This is the reality for the Iranian woman when the Islamic Republic arrived. So, and it wasn't because of their lack of ability, but solely because they were women. And to many, this may sound like a fictional story out of a movie, but unfortunately it's not. And this became the reality for Iran. And fast forward 44 years later, it still is. So how did this all impact me? My parents migrated to the U.S. back in 1975. They had been living here for a couple years until my father received a call that his brother had passed away in a motorcycle accident, which required him and my mom to fly back to Tehran. This is early 1977. Shortly after their arrival, my mom learned she was pregnant with me. And then here I come later that year. And I spent about the first year or so of my life in Iran. Now we get to February 1st, 1979. And that's the infamous day 
that Ayatollah Khomeini returns back to Iran. That also became an indicator that it was time for my parents to return back to the U.S. because the look and feel of the country transformed overnight. This was not the Iran they knew and most definitely was not an environment they wanted to raise their first child, who happened to be a girl, in. Hundreds of thousands, like my parents, fled the country. That population became the diaspora. Now here I am today in my mid-40s, an Iranian-American woman who has lived her entire life in the United States as an American, but also a woman who loves and adores her incredible culture and country. Please remember that when we say country, that does not mean the horrific government, but the beautiful country itself. I have not had the opportunity to go back to Iran. And reality is, until the Islamic Republic is in power, my most likely won't. That's an unfortunate reality I face. But a sacrifice that I'm willing to make as long as I can do my part in fighting for a free Iran. I remember being a young girl, participating in protests with my parents in front of the White House. It's funny how three and a half decades later, I am in the same fight with the same people. There are so many others with stories just like mine. Only they know the emptiness that one feels when you sit and watch YouTube videos of the streets of Tehran. Because that's me. That's what I do. I sit with my parents sometimes in their living room and we hit up YouTube and we search for, you know, streets of Tehran and other cities too and kind of close my eyes and envision myself there. The closest feeling of what it would feel like to be in Iran for me is walking through Westwood in Los Angeles. And as funny as that sounds, that's the reality. Some years back, I remember my best friend was going to Iran and she asked me what I wanted her to bring back, like souvenir wise. And I asked her to bring me dirt in a jar. And it sounds silly, but to me, it was as if she brought me back the world. The older we get, the more important her heritage becomes, especially when you have kids. And that's one of the reasons why I won't stop. Now, let's fast forward to Massa's arrest and death. This young woman who had an entire life ahead of her was murdered all because of a piece of cloth, a piece of cloth that was not fully covering her beautiful black mane. For 44 years, Iranian women have been forced to deal with systemic injustices including legal disparities, restrictions on personal freedoms, and societal pressures beyond anything any of us can ever believe. Massa's death ignited a fire in every woman in Iran, from adolescent to adult. The spark that ignited within the Iranian woman resembled the phoenix, emerging from the ashes, poised to overcome. Women in Iran poured into the streets of Tehran in every major city, removing their hijab, burning their hijab, dancing, singing, and cutting their hair publicly to defy the Islamic Republic and their inhumane treatment towards the women of Iran. This ignited the most powerful women's rights movement in our modern day. This became the birth of what the world knows today as woman 
life freedom. Or, as we say it in Farsi, Zan, Zendigi, Ozodi. Woman Life Freedom was no ordinary chant. It was chanted all over the world by the diaspora. Saturday after Saturday, hundreds of thousands took the streets of their cities with their signs, with their voices, with their rage, repetitively, in harmony, chanting this simple yet effective motto. This powerful phrase encapsulated the goals and aspirations of the movement. Then you have Massa's name itself. Massa Amini became one of the highest used hashtags in the history of Twitter slash X. Within the first month of Massa's death, the hashtag was used over 80 million times. The diaspora not only took the streets to protest, but they also hit social media platforms hard. For those of you who are not Iranian, many of you may recall your Iranian friends hitting Instagram on a daily basis with their multitude of posts supporting the woman life freedom movement. And to really break it down, this was crucial for several reasons. The reason number one, it was amplifying awareness. With social media being such a powerful tool, it would have been foolish not to use it to help spread awareness rapidly. And it did just that. As celebrities from all over the globe, key global figures were posting about the movement and Massa. Next, it was creating a digital movement. The platforms enabled individuals to unite digitally, forming a global community of like-minded individuals who came to support the cause. It enabled the movement to grow beyond geographical boundaries and connect. It also helped fight censorship. In regions with restricted freedom of speech, like Iran, and media censorship, social media offered an avenue to share stories and information that might not otherwise be accessible through traditional media outlets. It was a way to bypass state-controlled narrative and communicate directly with the public. And this is exactly what happened since the IR decided to cut off the internet so that videos and photos of the revolution couldn't leak into the West. Um, another really important aspect was mobilizing supporters. So social media can mobilize supporters for protests, rallies, and advocacy efforts. It is you know, utilized as a means to organize events and to help gather volunteers and coordinate action in real time. Because that's really how we all were able to see where all the rallies were taking place. So I mentioned like Saturday after Saturday, we all took to social media and that's how we spread the word. And that's how we got those thousands and thousands in the streets is by, uh, is by social media. Uh, another really important aspect of social media or how social media was utilized, it was humanizing the cause. So by sharing personal stories, experiences, and voiced of those affected, social media humanized the movement. It made the struggle relatable and emotionally resonant, encouraging empathy and support. I can't tell you how many of my non-Iranian friends reached out to me, lending their support and asking what they could do to help. I will be forever grateful to all of those individuals and just 
the level of care that they protruded, you know, during that time. Another really important aspect of social media was the pressure on authorities. The attention garnered on social media put pressure on authorities to address the issues at hand. Um, international scrutiny of human rights abuses really helped drive governments to take action and to reconsider their policies. I can't explain the difference this made in getting the Western media outlets to begin covering the stories coming out of Iran. It took time, but the voices were so loud, <laughs> there was no way to ignore it. And it was, it was rewarding to be able to see media outlets picking up these stories and covering it because it was crucial in this movement. So to put it even into more perspective, this is how impactful social media is and was, especially during the start of this movement. An Iranian man by the name of Shervin Hajirpur, uh, who lives in Iran, released a song after Massa's death called Baroye. And for those of you who don't speak Farsi, which many of you <laughs> most likely don't, Baroye translates into four. So not the number four, but the word four, like for you. And Baroye resulted in over 40 million views on Instagram in just 48 hours. This song became the anthem of the movement. This song won a Grammy. Yes, I said a Grammy. It was unheard of. So all in all, social media served, uh, served us and continues to serve as a catalyst for awareness, solidarity, and change, making it an essential tool for this movement. So with Mass's anniversary approaching, what can we expect? Well, the Islamic Republic security forces are working relentlessly to silence all friends and relatives of the hundreds of young men and women that have been murdered this past year by either threatening them or arresting them. Uh, they've been given specific instructions to avoid attending or commissioning any gatherings to commemorate the fallen. This means not even visiting their loved ones' graves. And the security forces have even gone to the measure of destroying their grave sites to ensure there's no visiting um, and that there's nothing to visit. So there's reports that security forces have detained relatives of Massa's before her anniversary, specifically her uncle. This is solely out of fear that the protests that rumbled the streets of so many cities within Iran become revived. I know that major cities around the world are remembering Massa on her anniversary by standing together and protesting against the regime. For those that would like to show their support, I highly urge you to look at sites like X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, to find groups that are organizing events. For those in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, visit NSG Iran on Instagram. That's N as in Nancy, S as in Sam, G as in girl, Iran, uh, to get the latest updates on the protest scheduled for September 16th at the White House. I believe that starts at 3 p.m. at Lafayette Square. Uh, we have to remember this isn't just about a corrupt regime. It's about potential 
gender apartheid. Uh, that is literally on the brink of happening. And this is something that we do not talk about enough. We're slowly approaching 2024, a time that should be so advanced, yet we live in a world where so many places are taking backward steps versus advancements in humanity. At the beginning of this year, a team of incredible individuals and myself worked on an extremely special project. Major cities around the world talented artists dedicating murals of Massa to speak through art to keep Massa and her name alive. D.C. was one of the few cities without a mural of Massa, and D.C. is a city that represents life, liberty, and justice. And these are all missing elements within an Iranian woman's existence in Iran. We were on a mission to create the boldest wall to honor Massa and to pay ode to her. I remember the final day when our muralist, Rodrigo Pradell, who is one of the most talented individuals I know, uh, I remember the day Rodrigo finished the mural. It was a Friday. It was January 6th, to be precise. We were on U Street in D.C., and the murals are right between 11th and 12th on U Street in Northwest. And we're in D.C. where the hustle and bustle of the city was high as the evening approached. And although the city is bright, there's this darkness that lingers, especially in the alleys where we happen to be. We had spotlights set up so Rod could work his magic without having to call it a day at sunset. And I vividly remember the moment the mural was fully completed. I stood there in the freezing cold staring up at Massa's highly lit face with heavy tears filling my eyes. It was a somber moment, and for months we had worked diligently to get this final result. And you finally get there thinking it would bring you joy for getting it done, but there is this ominous feeling. And all in all, you know, if... Uh, if I could have talked to Massa at that moment, you know, I guess my my ode to Massa would have been with this. Is that, you know, you may have physically left this world, but your face, your name is embedded into our souls. You were cheated out of the life you deserved. And we wish we could have protected you from the evil that took you at the young age of 22. Our vow to you stands as this. The Woman Life Freedom Movement is not just a flicker of hope. It's a roaring flame of resilience and determination. It is a blazing inferno of defiance against the oppressive regime of the Islamic Republic of Iran. We unleash the sirens for this call to action. The journey is far from over. Our spirit remains unbreakable. The courageous Iranian woman has risen like the unstoppable phoenix, determined to incinerate the chains of inequality and justice. Their battle is fierce. Their voices are unyielding and their resolve is unwavering. Let us stand shoulder to shoulder as freedom fighters in a relentless fight for a future where all women can breathe freely. This fight eludes an unquenchable fire that we refuse to allow the IR to extinguish. We will continue to chant woman life freedom 
until our women are free, but most of all, until our beautiful Iran is free. I just want to take this opportunity and thank all of you for taking the time not only to listen to our entire season, but specifically for listening to this very special episode, very heartfelt episode from the heart. Uh, And we look forward to talking to you all soon. Bye.